Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Calvin. Today, I'm joined by Johan Reed, CXO at Imburse. As Chief Experience Officer, Johan is responsible for leading a cross-functional marketing and customer success organization with the goal of delivering a world-class customer experience from first awareness through subscription renewal. Over the course of 25 years, Johan has written, implemented, sold, and marketed a variety of customer database, CRM, and customer experience products. An evangelist for customer experience, he's delivered keynotes and press interviews in 18 different countries and written numerous articles on the topic. Prior to Imburse, he served as CMO at Exactly Corporation. Before that, he held several executive leadership positions within SAP Global Marketing. And earlier in his career, Johan held a variety of technical, field, and go-to-market leadership positions at SAP CX, NewScale, Nightfire, Clarify, and IBM. Johan holds a BS in Commerce and Engineering from Drexel University. Our conversation today centered around how, to be more customer-centric, organizations need to make a shift in mindset, from inside out to outside in. Johan believes too many people get stuck in their own work without thinking about customer experience. And something special happens when we break out of that mindset. Of course, changing someone's mindset is easier said than done. Johan and I discussed what gets unlocked when organizations think about the customer first, how to be an agent of customer-centric change in your company, and how your colleagues are a lot like toddlers. All right, maybe that's not a fair characterization of what he said, but we did talk about toddlers. Johan, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So great to have you here. Thanks, Dan. So good to be here. So you were recently named as one of Influitive's Fearless 50 Marketing Leaders. So first of all, congratulations on that. Very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you very much. And in your video for that, you said something that really stuck out to me. You said that if you were to implement a customer-first marketing strategy at a company, the first thing that you would focus on is mindset. And I, I want us to get into what you're talking about with this mindset. But before we get there, I want to understand why is mindset the first thing you would focus on? There's, there's other stuff you could focus on. Why do you think you have to start with mindset? You could talk to any coach and they're going to tell you that if you, if you have a closed mindset, if you think you've got it or things are, things are fine, you're never going to make progress. And so for me, the very first thing I have to, first, I have to work on my own mindset, right? Believe that something is possible and maintain that sort of growth orientation and willingness to change and then work on the organization and get people to believe I've spent a lot of my career in in sort of a change agent role coming in and getting people to think differently about their work. And you have to start with your own mindset first and recognize where are you and are you willing to change? And for some people, the answer might be no, and that's okay. Marketing is probably not the right job for you. But, you know, if we don't start with a fundamental baseline of getting everybody on the team into that place where they have a growth mindset, they are willing to make the changes, they're going, going to lean into the transformation. If we don't do that work up front, we'll never succeed. Never, ever. Have you, have you always been a challenger like this? Even as a kid, were you always kind of pushing buttons and, and forcing people to think differently? No. I, as a kid, I was really pretty reserved, actually, which none of my friends today believe. But what I found as I moved through my career was I just thought differently than a lot of other people around me. I grew up a pretty observant child, and I spent a lot of time observing 
processing, analyzing, and drawing conclusions. And I think that's really informed the way I see the world rather than just taking other people's thoughts and, and adopting them. Uh, I typically think deeply about what I see and make my own conclusions. I think why this idea really resonates with me. It, so in my personal life, I, I've got a almost two-year-old. And so parenting is a new thing uh, to us. And when you're looking at, you know, what, what dinner times look like, you know, how, how your philosophies on bedtime and getting the child to sleep, you really both have to be bought into whatever process you're going to be doing. If, if one of you does not, it just begrudgingly goes along, the kid sees that and they, they feel that. And, and I feel like it's, it goes beyond just parenting. Like if, if we're trying to get everybody moving in the same direction, people have to, even if they don't 100% buy into it, they have to mostly buy into this. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Well, I, I love the fact that you brought up having a toddler because I think toddlers teach us one of the most valuable lessons that we'll ever learn, which is that we don't actually have control and we can't make anybody do anything. If you've ever tried to make a toddler do something, if they dig their heels in and just use this newfound power of no, then there is literally nothing you can do other than physically move them to a place or from a place. But if they don't want to eat, they're not going to eat. And as you're as your toddler starts to grow up, you'll find that making them clean their room, like you can threaten, you can take things away, you can cajole, you can beg, you can reward, you can do all these things. At the end of the day, if they're unconvinced and they say no, there's literally nothing you can do about it. And I've carried those lessons into the workplace because I can't make people do things. Uh, you know, even as an executive, you just can't make people do things. You can threaten them with their job, but that's not a good look. And it's really about inspiring them, opening their eyes, getting them to think about their work in a new way and recognize much like when you go to your neighbor's house and you see their brand new kitchen, like, oh, well, you know, my kitchen was okay until I came over here and saw this. Now I want to make a change. And so it's really about building that vision and, you know, just like with a child, showing them all the positive outcomes that can happen when they when they work with you instead of against you. I love that. So, so let's talk about this mindset. We, we've established why it's so important to get people to, to, to start with mindset. You talk about this inside out versus outside in mindset when it comes to you know, how we think about our customers, how we run our organizations. So let's start with the inside out mindset. What, what is this inside out mindset and why is it our default? Like you said, it's sort of the default mindset that most, most employees have. And, you know, marketers, you've got a 50-50 a or, or maybe even a better than 50-50 chance that they're already thinking about the customer. As you go deeper into a business, uh, chances are you know, in accounting, in human resources, they're not really thinking about the customer. That's the inside out mindset. The inside out mindset is I'm thinking about my job, my work, my company, my product. It's a me centric approach. It's, it, you know, and, it, and when you say it that way, it almost feels like it's a narcissistic approach, but we can't help it because we develop the sense of self and we view the world through our lens coming from our position in our circumstance. And it's a pretty natural thing to fall into because you know, again, going back to the, the children discussion, if you've ever talked to a teenager, it is all about them all of the time because that's when they're really developing that sense of self. And, you know, we carry that into the workplace. We're bringing a set of skills. We had to interview and talk about ourselves and, 
And so we're, we're thinking about our work, our performance. It's all about us all of the time. And the, the danger in that, while you know, it's certainly fine to have that orientation because it is about our work, the danger in carrying that through into specifically marketing work, but even more broadly, like if a software engineer is thinking about themselves and their work how do I get my job done the fastest? How am I the most efficient? How am I writing code that integrates with other people's code and all that? What ultimately happens is the finished product, whether it's a marketing campaign or a piece of software, meets the needs of the people who created it, but not the needs of the people who are consuming it. The finished product meets the needs of the people who created it, but not the needs of the people who are consuming it. I just want to pause here with this voiceover and reiterate that line. Think of how often we do that in our organizations when we aren't customer-centric. It can be easy to pick on product teams for doing this, just building things in a bubble. But marketing teams are just as guilty of this. All teams are guilty of this. We don't talk to our customers and then we wonder why what we're building isn't resonating. But it doesn't have to be this way. It's sort of like making coffee for someone else and you make it the way you want and you serve it to them and you're so proud of what you've done and they look at it and go, well, I didn't want cream and sugar in there. I like my coffee plain and black. You have to have that shift. And this is where the that underlying growth mindset piece plays such an important part is before you can consider somebody else's point of view, you have to be open to it. And so the pitfalls of this, and I think I touched on them a little bit, is really you know, the end result of what you're delivering feels like it's self-serving to the person who created it, as opposed to serving the audience. And that's where, when I look at a lot of marketing, it's the, the litmus test that I use, and I'm a harsh harsh critic, you know, marketers are the worst, <laughs> uh, because we judge not only the message, but how it was delivered. I look at the marketing and I uh, right away I can tell if the ad agency or the marketing team was thinking about me when they created it or if they were really thinking about what they wanted to say and what they wanted to communicate and what they need to sell. You know, you can get by with that, but it's not that effective. Yeah, I think I think in marketing we so often do things in a bubble. And one story that I, I think I've maybe told in this show before is at a previous company we were you know, the marketing team got together and we were trying to think of a new, not necessarily slogan, but way to talk about the company. And it was just a bunch of marketing people sitting in a room trying to like you know shoehorn in words like synergy. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have any of us actually ever talked to our customers and said, how do you? pitch us to other people. Like you're a fan of us. How do you describe us to other people? Why don't we start there? And it was this thing that like, to me, that didn't seem like such a big deal, but everybody else was just like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it shouldn't just be a bunch of marketing people locked in a room. But I think it's very common. It's even worse. I mean, I've sat in the room for a week with a bunch of marketing people and a bunch of agency people who are even smarter and more creative and more interesting. And so you wind up, I've been through these branding exercises where, you know, we come in with a bunch of concepts and we ideate for a week and we walk out of the room and we've distilled it down to two words and, and everybody in the room is so excited. And then you're like, oh, we came up with the ultimate thing and it's these two words. And everybody's like, what does that even mean? And it's because you've packed it in and packed it and packed it and packed it. And you've got, you know, 
40 hours times 10 people. So it's like 400 hours of effort has gone into packing everything into these two little words. And then when you come out, you have to spend 40 hours or 400 hours unpacking it for everybody. And that, and that's, you know, that, that doesn't work. Right. And, and I love, I love your example because, you know, it's true in personal life, how we see ourselves is often different how, from how others see us. And the same can be said for our work. And I think the most dangerous part of communication uh, and why active listening is so important is that often what we say and our perception of what we're saying isn't aligned with what the other person is hearing and their perception of what they're hearing. And so active listening teaches us to validate, right? Let me ask you if you understood what I was communicating and get you to say it back to me so we can confirm that we're on the same page. Marketers don't have necessarily the luxury of asking the customer unless you run focus groups or or go out to, to your friends in sales or customer success to ask how things are landing. But the numbers can also tell you. Yeah. That's inside out thinking. So what's the opposite of this? What is what is outside in thinking? <laughs> without, without without sounding overly simplistic, it's literally putting your shoes in the you're putting yourself in the shoes of the customer, walking walking their path, trying to think about what are the questions that a customer would ask. How would a customer describe this? What words do they use? You know, we often want to jump into an explanation about who we are and what we do. And we have these great words that are sort of jargonistic and maybe even worse. They're like words we've made up to describe features and functions of the products that we're selling. And those are words that a customer would never use. It's really about thinking through that vocabulary, the problems and challenges they're faced with, the opportunities that they see. Uh, and even taking that a step further to look not only at the business outcomes that they're trying to generate, but what are their career goals and aspirations? How do they maybe see the world and see the risks in their job that will prevent them from getting promoted or the opportunities that they may have to separate themselves from their coworkers and get noticed? Because ultimately, I think everybody has a career path in mind. And I've seen so often deals go to no decision, not because the seller hasn't done all the justification and shown the business case and, and all the stuff. They just haven't overcome the fear of, hey, if I challenge the status quo here and it doesn't go well, I'm going to get fired or I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to hit the plateau. They won't promote me if this fails. And, uh, and that's, a, and that's scary that that's a lot of fear packed into that. So the, the outside in mindset is almost fully inhabiting the persona that you're going to market to, and then taking a critical look at what you're saying through that lens and making sure that you're trying to articulate the solution you think they have in mind. When I was in pre-sales, this was my, this was my secret strategy to win. Uh, uh, you know, my win rate was pretty high because what I would do, instead of jumping in and telling the customer all about my product, uh, I would ask a ton of questions and I would listen for how they articulated the solution that they had in mind because everybody's got a solution in mind, no matter what the problem is. As soon as you identify a problem, your brain goes into solutioning mode and you've got something in your head. 
And so it's really about listening and identifying what is in this person's head and then using those words to articulate to them that you understand what they have in mind. And then you can earn the right to explain to them how you help them bring their solution to life. And that's a really important distinction. And I think that's sort of the full download on what it means to be uh, outside in. And so I, I think while I totally agree with this and I think that that's amazing, I think it's also the type of thing that's really easy for marketers to just get into theoretical mode and just say, oh, well, what would our customers, how would they describe this without actually then even talking to them? Uh, so, so how do you, as a marketer who can sometimes be disconnected from our customers, how do you genuinely figure out our customers' real problems, the things that keep them up at night, the solutions that they need without just making it a theoretical exercise? Oh, well, I mean, that, that one's super easy to knock right out of the park because we run events. So go to the events where your customers are. Uh, we just ran our Embrace in Motion event uh, a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C. And uh, I was there and I got to talk with customers and I I listened. I listened to their their challenges. I listened to their stories. I listened to the words they used. I listened to the outcomes that they highlighted or the problem areas that that they discussed. And it, that's the the data that you have to sort of sponge up. So go to events, your own events, even better industry events where most of the people in the room are not customers, maybe have never even heard of you before. Uh, ask them questions about what is their job like? What are the challenges they face? What are the opportunities that they see? Listen to the words they're using. Go talk to your sales colleagues. Pre-sales people, and maybe I'm a little biased because I, I spent a long time in pre-sales. Pre-sales people are the trusted voice in the room during a sales cycle because they're not the ones who ask for the money. They're the ones who demonstrate the product. And so the customer will often open up They'll open, open up and share all of their problems, all of their challenges. So the pre-sales people, if they're paying attention, they're, they're getting all of the keywords, all of the insights into what really is going on for your target audience. Uh, and then finally, customer success. I lead, as a, as a CXO, I lead both marketing and customer success. And it's amazing when you bring those teams together because the customer success people live and breathe customer value. They're in there day in, day out, trying to understand what are the barriers to the customer achieving maximum value, maximum success with the products. And so you can use them as sources of validation. You could ask them to bring you in on a call and go talk to a customer uh, to test stuff out. You know, we've done some messaging tests and the, the customer success team has been great at getting me some time with customers to, to sort of lay out our, our messaging changes and get feedback from the people who, who live in these systems day to day. And so when you're on one of those calls with the CSMs, when you're at the event and you're actually talking to the customers, are there any questions that you feel like are really telling any questions that you'd like to typically ask to get in, inside the head of the customer? I always start with, so tell me about your job. Like, what do you do? It's always interesting to hear the words they use to describe their work. And then I start asking about what, what makes it challenging for them. You know, what in their work life is, is difficult and what in their work life is going really well. And this is going to sound funny, but as a marketer, I think about marketing like dating. On a good date, there's sort of an equal exchange of information. Both parties are asking questions. 
there are pauses to listen on a bad date. I, I dated in my 40s. You know, you go on these bad dates and it was just this constant stream. And every time I might introduce something about myself, it would always go back to her. And I was like, okay, I'm not calling you again. You know, we just talked about you the whole time and that wasn't really... That wasn't so fun for me. You know, it might have been nice if you were interested in what I had to say. And I feel like that's the experience that so many people have when they're being marketed or sold to. Uh, and it's in those conversations, that's how I approach it. I use my intellectual curiosity to lead me down a path of questioning, to, to genuinely get to know this person, what is important to them, what are they struggling with, what moves the needle for them, how do they measure their success, you know, I think anybody listening to this podcast has intellectual curiosity. That's why they're in the job they're in. And it's just think about it like you're out on a date or out with some friends and there's somebody new in the group and you want to get to know them and you're intellectually curious about their work and that will reveal all of it. So so maybe there's not really necessarily a set of standard questions. It's more about engage your curious mind. So let's talk about making this mindset shift. So let's say I, I drop you into an organization that <laughs> typically has, it's going to be fun for you. Let's say I drop you into the, the typical organization that's very inside out and you're tasked with trying to get people to slowly or, or quickly change their minds to this outside in mindset. What are some of the techniques that you do in those early days to get people to shift? Well, I think a lot of it is starting even just the conversation about it. My experience has been that leaders don't talk enough about mindset. And, and what's funny is if you read leadership books, they talk all about mindset. If you work with coaches, they talk all about mindset. But yet there's like this weird, like a leader will go, okay, I have to have a growth mindset, but they won't go talk to their team about a growth mindset and what that means. I think the the, the starting point is have the conversation, start Asking people, hey, how do you think the customer would think about this? Have you thought that through? Have you run this by somebody? Have you gotten input from the outside? And again, marketers are smart people. And in many cases, they just haven't been challenged to think this way. And when you introduce the idea of, hey, you know, we're going to have a growth opportunity. There's going to be a lot of learning and career development. People like perk up. They're like, oh, learning and career development. That sounds like something I can put on LinkedIn. This is great. Okay, tell me more. Then you get into the sort of leading them down the path of, of asking, just asking pointed questions like, hey, have you gotten customer feedback on that messaging? No. Okay. Have you gotten analyst feedback on that messaging? No. Okay. Well, why don't we go see about getting that arranged? Right. Go call our analyst relations person, get a call scheduled with somebody from one of the analyst firms, get their feedback on it at the next inquiry. Or, you know, let's go to the CSM team and get a couple calls scheduled with the target audience that you're trying to reach with this message and test it out. You know, I for a long time, I had the luxury of marketing to marketers and I would call my friends who worked in marketing at other companies. I'd be like, hey, listen, I've got this message. Can you can you tell me what you think? It's just starting that dialogue and raising the awareness kind of starts that snowball effect. You know, there are things that you do once, once that's done. Uh, once you get people starting, then it's about giving them frameworks to put this into. But really, truly, that's where I start when I come into the organization. I just start asking questions 
and getting people to realize that there's a different way to think about things. I love Johan's point here because this is all about repetition. When trying to make a mindset shift like this, it's not enough to just tell people once and expect it to sink in. We have to reiterate this with our teams if we want it to actually become part of their workflow. We need to constantly challenge, not in a confrontational way, but constantly get everyone thinking beyond just their role and make decisions with the end customer in mind. And as Johan is about to share, this is something that needs to permeate the whole organization, including those at the top. That's where finding the champions in the organization, getting the leadership team, uh, marketing leaders bought in and on board because they're the ones who are, they're going to do all the work review, right? First line managers are doing the work review. And if they're not bought into the outside in thinking, then the, you know, you just won't get the, the uptake as quickly. But if you can convince them that this is the better way of approaching the work, they'll challenge the individual contributors in the organization with every piece of content or campaign plan, channel strategy that's being built. They'll, they'll, get, they'll get that test. They'll, they'll be the ones to probe. But, you know, that requires starting with the mindset and then giving them frameworks and helping them uh, mentoring them on how do you ask these challenging questions without putting off the employee. Because, you know, if you have somebody who's who's struggling with this a little bit, it can feel demoralizing. Now, you know, my, my work used to be fine and now all of a sudden it, it's not fine anymore. I, I'm struggling, right? And that's not a great feeling. So, so that's this leadership cascade of coaching, supporting, mentoring. That has to be part and parcel. But that's I think that holds true for any sort of transformation project. And you don't have to go incredibly in depth on this, but you mentioned these frameworks that you give people. Can you give an example of a framework? You know, I, <laughs> I think the most basic framework is a, is a customer journey. And my experience is people don't start with that. They don't think about where is the, you know, we, we talk a lot about the funnel. We talk a lot about the sales, the opportunity stages, right? We it, It's a very inside out point of view. And even, you know, we love these acronyms, tofu, mofu, bofu, like that's fine to characterize where content fits or what kind of emotion you want to execute at each one of those, those funnel stages. But I feel like that's in a way lazy shorthand because, you know, we're trying to sort buyers into three phases. Buying is complex and it's not a funnel. People go up and down. This is not, it's, it's, you know, it's a spaghetti chart. It's not this neatly structured thing where, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm now moving from the top of the funnel to the, the middle of the funnel and I'm never going to go the other direction. Like that's, that's a bunch of bull. If I can say that on your podcast. You, but, you can, yeah. <laughs> but we have to think more, in a more fine-grained manner and think about the customer journey and recognize, you know, even words that marketers use like awareness. I think awareness is a little bit of a red herring because people say awareness and what, they, what they're talking about is brand awareness. Like, hey, when did you become aware of my brand? I, when I say awareness, I actually mean when does the customer become aware that they have a problem? And so if we're doing our job sort of at the very, very beginning of their journey, it's it's a little bit of inception. It's planting the seed of the idea. It's, hey, look, this research found that, right? And then the person reads the research and they go, wait a minute, 
I hadn't thought about that. Do I have a problem in my business? Is there an opportunity I'm missing? And then how do we start moving them from this sort of conversation around a mega trend that's revealed an insight where they're now thinking about a problem or opportunity and start start thinking about how, you know, is it even a solvable thing? You know, if I have it, okay, I have this challenge. Can it be solved? Okay, great. Who can solve it? How does it get solved? What does the solution even look like? They want to know all that before they even decide to put a lot of resource, effort, and energy into evaluating solutions. They're just, you know, like, okay, so on that journey, they're going to want to see a demo. To make a decision about like, oh, does it like, is this a solvable thing? I kind of want to see what a solution might look like. Okay, well, a demo asset in a marketer's world is way further down the funnel. This is not early stage stuff, right? So you can't you can't use the funnel, and you can't talk about the mofu bofu tofu. You you can't apply that. You have to think about it through the lens of the customer journey and all of these nuanced phases that they go through. So, so that's a framework that if you give to a marketing team and you stay, okay, now take your assets and, and instead of trying to organize them based on funnel, organize them based on when would a customer interact with them based on what they're trying to achieve in that moment of their buying journey. Are they trying to figure out if this is a solvable problem or are they trying to figure out what the solution to the problem is, because those are two very different questions, right? And require a different level of detail. And so when you think about a website, when you think about a white paper, when you think about a demo, how is it going to be consumed by the person in which moment? What are they trying to achieve? And it's amazing because all of a sudden it reveals tons of white space in your marketing library. It real it reveals gaps where, you know, there's no way to jump from one one phase of that buying journey to the next, whether forward or backward. And so, you know, you're wondering why people aren't converting down funnel. It's like, well, we've got this huge gap in the way we cover the journey. And so they can't move through their journey, which means we can't move them through our funnel. Uh, so that's that's one example of a framework. So what does this mindset shift look like when it's done really well? Whether it's companies you've worked at or companies that you've just seen in the wild, what happens when people have made this shift from inside out to outside in? It's really cool when it happens because the conversations, first of all, you know, I'll start with sort of the, the visible effect in the way people work together. The conversations stop being about what's the most effective way for me to get my job done and they shift to what's the best way that we can reach this customer with the thing they need to hear. And people start thinking more holistically about their work and how their work interacts with other people's work to have a more complete message or complete experience for the customer. Uh, so we see a lot more collaboration because now it's not about me, it's about somebody else and we're gonna team to go help that person, right? Uh, I, I often use the, the analogy with the Everest climber, right? You have these Sherpas who labor away. It's a team of people who take this person up to the, up to the summit. 
we don't know who those people are. They they are largely nameless in the media. When somebody does it, there's like, oh, you know, so-and-so climbed the mountain. It's like, well, yeah, accompanied by a team of people who do this like once a month. <laughs> you know, it's to them, they do it all the time. It's kind of not a big deal. Uh, I'm probably like oversimplifying the Everest experience. But the point is that as marketers, we should be thinking about ourselves as a team of people who do this journey thing all the time. We help. We help customers go through a journey from identifying that they have a challenge or opportunity and help them along the way to feeling comfortable that there is a way that they can address their challenge or capitalize on an opportunity, grow their career and be successful. We do this all the time. Most of our buyers buy software a handful of times in their career if they do it often. A lot of people buy software once in their like real, not like an app, but like real software for a business. They they they'll buy they'll make one buying decision in their lifetime, so they don't know how to do it, and it's scary. Uh, and so that's that's what happens is the team stops operating like, hey, it's about me climbing Everest, and it more about, hey, I'm part of the Sherpa team, and we're going to help this buyer move through their journey, and then things fall into place in a completely different way. So one last thing I want to ask you before we get into the wrap-up stuff. You you mentioned how at Imburse you have CS and marketing all under the same organization. I'd, I'd love to understand the rationale there and why you feel like that works so well. <laughs> I had the chance to, to define my role here uh, in talking with the CEO, Eric Friedrichsen. You know, we started talking about why customer experience is a differentiator because one of the things about Imburse the the various product brands that we have have a reputation for being high touch great customer experience types of products we want to make sure that now that these products have come together under the Embers umbrella that that doesn't get lost and so he was picking my brain about how how do we make sure we don't lose this differentiator for us the way i think about it is customer experience is really when you boil it all the way down, it's about keeping the promises you make and making only the promises that you can keep. And the problem is that oftentimes the team that makes the promise is completely disconnected from the team that keeps the promise. So you've got all the people who participate in the pre-contracting process from marketing, sales development, sales, the solution consultants, all of those folks are out there making promises and they tend to be pretty far removed from the implementation team, the customer support team, the customer success team, the engineers who build the products that have to perform, right? Those teams are, are fairly far apart and especially like marketing to customer success, at least there's a bridge for marketing to sales. Marketing to customer success, there's not a lot of interaction typically. And so my view is by bringing those two together, because marketing is the place where the brand promise is crafted. It's the place where all the collateral gets built. It's the messaging that's given to the sales reps and the, the sales loft cadences that get written and the talk tracks for the SDRs to follow up with. Marketing makes the promise. And customer success is on the hook to make sure the customer's getting value. And to get the value, the product has to work as promised. And all the, all the great benefits that we're, we're 
talked about during the sales cycle have to come to fruition. The business case has to be fulfilled. And so my view was if you bring those two teams together, now you've got the, the sort of the quarterback on the make the promise side marketing and the quarterback on the keep the promise side customer success in the same organization. And we can integrate the two functions. And that's what we're doing at Imburse is I'm bringing together these two teams and they're not operating in silos, but we're really integrating the functions. Now, they certainly do things independently, but we're in the midst of this campaign approach transformation where it's not just the buying journey, it's the full customer journey. Uh, and I'll give you a really concrete example. If a customer comes in on a campaign, let's say we have a campaign that's all about implementing spend controls within a business. If the customer is buying because they want to get better control over expenses and purchasing within their, their company, the way value gets measured, whether it's success, a success or failure, is not based on how much time do you save a traveler from having to enter expense reports. Value gets measured by how much money are you saving the, the business through the implementation of controls. If we think about this from a campaign's perspective, we'll have one campaign around spend controls and the CSMs will have to measure value differently than a campaign around t &E automation, which is all about how much employee time are you saving. And so we're, we're pulling this all the way through the customer journey so that we're measuring the value based on why the customer bought in the first place and what they articulated there needs to be at the beginning of the buying journey. And that's so that's a concrete way that we're integrating this. And of course, we're bringing CSMs into, in, you know, they're working the booth at, our, at, at marketing events. They're, uh, they're on the calls, they're interacting with marketers and the CSMs are drawing a lot of value because most marketing organizations don't do quote CSM enablement, they do sales enablement. And so I discovered that the CSMs were often reinventing the wheel because they didn't even know that all these marketing assets were out there. They didn't have access to the sales library where all the all the assets get placed for sellers to use. Uh, so it's been, you know, we're still early in the journey. I've been here for six months, uh, but already seeing a huge, huge benefit for both teams. And, um, you know, we've created some cross-functional groups to talk about how do we do this integration better? How do we build a stronger CX org? It's been really lovely to see the participation from both marketing and customer success and and those bridges are getting built and getting stronger every day. I'm going to be honest with you. I regret asking you that question because now I have so many follow-up questions. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like we just, I, I, I'll put a pin in it. I feel like we need to have a part two where we just dive into that because I think that that is so interesting and there's like 30 follow-up questions, but to not make this episode three hours long, we'll just, we'll maybe. We'll... There's a lot to unpack there and, and maybe that's a book for me. Someday. Yeah, it's it's a book. At the, selfishly, at the very least, maybe it's a part two of this episode, but I, I think it could definitely be a book, but we'll, we'll put a pin in, in it for now, but I think that's incredibly interesting and I appreciate you diving into that. Yeah, you bet. So, so the wrap up question that I asked to everybody, if you could give the listeners at home one piece of advice to make them more customer centric, something they can do today, tomorrow, what would it be? I think it's really easy. Start with the customer journey. The mindset stuff is important. And, uh, and, you know, I'm hoping that people are already thinking about mindset and, and driving mindset in their business, but that tends to be a little bit abstract. 
So the concrete thing you can do right now is ask yourself, do I have a customer journey model? And if not, do the research and pick one. And then start working on looking at everything you're doing and map it back to that customer journey. And just that intellectual exercise of trying to understand how does what we're doing match the process that the buyer is going through will be enlightening and get, get the dialogue started about, oh, hey, we're doing a great job. Wonderful. Or more likely, hey, we've got gaps. How are we going to close those gaps? And that that will create the conversation and get people thinking about, hey, maybe maybe my kitchen, which I thought was fine, is ready for a refresh. That's amazing. Johan, this was great. You've, you've shifted my my mindset, if nothing else. At least one person's mindset has been shifted from this episode. But this has been terrific. I'm really glad. that as a win, Dan. I appreciate that. That's all we need. But thanks so much for being on the show, Johan. This was terrific. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Outside in thinking is a pretty fundamental shift in the way that we can all do our jobs. But let's face it. It's a lot easier to create things without talking to the people who consume them. It's an extra step to loop in our customers to understand their genuine pain points and how our products can better serve them. But think of how much better we'd all be if we made that extra effort. But it's, it's hard to make that mindset shift, or any mindset shift really. We get stuck in our ways, we get stuck in autopilot, we get stuck in making things in a vacuum. I genuinely want to have Johan on for part two because I love his vision for bringing CS and marketing together and I want to see how it pans out. The people making the promises and the people keeping those promises on the same page. Although I guess technically we should also loop sales in here because they're definitely making a lot of promises too. We might not all be in a position to get others to make this outside-in mindset shift, but I think we'd all be better served to make this mindset shift in ourselves. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, let's pre-order Johan's book that he hasn't started writing about this. I think if enough of us pressure him, he'll write it eventually.